one of the longer passages in the Bible. Uh, I think it's worth reading this story. Uh, uh, the action happens very quick, but the lead-up is very important. Um, good morning. Uh, my name is Josh. For those who don't know me, I get the privilege and blessing of bringing the word uh, this morning. Um, and uh, I've been uh, blessed to be part of a Nogra, call Nogra home for nine months this year and a couple of years ago as well. <laughs> um, I'm back. It's great. Uh, I'm a pastor and an engineer. I'm working as a mechanical engineer in heavy vehicles, uh, heavy vehicle dynamics, the movement. Um, one of the reasons uh, I called, uh, if we get that first one up, Dave, uh, this, this sermon is on about trust in motion, um, and, and it's a little bit kind of close to, close to home for me, uh, since I work with trucks and the study of trucks and the way that they move. Um, all the heavy vehicles that you see on the road, they are no good if they're standing still in the same way. Trust kind of isn't trust if it's just kind of sitting there unused. And so we're going to walk our way through this uh, giant, bad pun intended, giant of a story uh, today on David and Goliath. And you might be familiar with it. That might be the first time you've ever um, heard it in, in full um, but you, you might be familiar with the David-Goliath scenario, even if you've never uh, actually read the Bible before. It kind of pops up in the news and sports commentaries, and it's kind of like the little guy versus the big guy. Uh, people construe it in all sorts of ways. Uh, top of Google searches at the moment says that Russia versus Ukraine is a modern-day uh, David versus Goliath story. It is not. Uh, footy commentators will regularly channel it as an underdog retelling of one side of men in tight shorts versus another side of men in tight shorts chasing a ball around a grass field. It's not that either. This story is not about an against-all-odds sort of upset by the underdog. It's, it's not a story where we imagine ourselves in the shoes of the hero. Where we fit is actually quite different. And so we're going to break it down play by play, uh, understand the story and, and the good news that it points us to. So uh, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift of grace. We thank you for your church. We thank you that you are here with us. And Lord, we trust you to lead us, to speak to us through your word, to encourage us, to challenge us, to grow us, to deepen our faith to strengthen and sharpen our trust, that we would carry it in motion, that we would follow you on the way, trusting all the way. In your name we pray. Amen. For a little bit of context, that's kind of where we are. It's the lay of the land. It's a little bit hard to see, but the important thing is just kind of, you can see that little red circle area and the highlighted uh, spots the Philistines, they have come in, they have invaded Judah, they occupy a strategic main road. Uh, there's sort of Gath and Ekron, and those little highlighted yellow bits um, on the left-hand side. Bethlehem, where David uh, tends to sheep, that's all the way on the other side. And the battle kind of happens in that, that red circular area. And to counter this army that's rocked up into their backyard, Israel, they camp further up the valley, kind of around the corner. Both armies come out and stand against each other on opposite mountains, uh, and uh, it happened in the Valley of Elah, which is this. 
This is a real place. This, uh, this, this photo itself looks towards soccer with the waterway or the brook that David took stones from. It's running through the middle of the fields here. The two mountains, they're separated by about six or 700 meters. Um, I've not been there, but it looks like a beautiful place, perfect place to pitch a tent. Uh, until there's this great big thundering fellow that rocks up and starts um, shouting at everybody and piercing the serenity. And so uh, this is not working. So Dave, I'll get you to kind of flick ahead if you can. Um, he's in God's territory. He's, he's screaming at God's people. He's challenging them to this 1v1 death match. The losing champion dies. The winner takes all, including all the people on the losing side. Did you, did you notice that? that? They'd all be enslaved. That's an important point. The losing champions, uh, uh, whole army, whole people, they become enslaved as a nation. Goliath's pretty sure he's going to win. And fair enough, the dude was about uh, three meters tall. Uh, and to get a bit of a visual reference, I have uh, a, a picture, Dave, you can flick to the next one, um, of the tallest man ever that we have recent photographic evidence of. Robert Wadlow was his name. He was 272 centimeters tall. He weighed about 200 kilos. He's a big fella. Back in David's time, the average human height was around 150 centimeters, which is actually quite a bit shorter than, than sort of uh, the people that, 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 that uh, you, you'll see in this next photo, uh, if we can get it working. As soon as we've got some computer issues, my fault, Dave, sorry. There it is. Um, that's Robert Wadlow. Real dude, tall dude. Uh, David would have been roughly about 15 to 18 years old, so he's, he's not even fully grown at this point, so he's shorter than the short people uh, were back then. Goliath would have been roughly then two and a half times his size. And if we flick to the next one, Dave, apparently this section, this, this uh, verses 5 to 11, this section uh, on Goliath, it's one of the most detailed physical descriptions in the Bible. And it's quite intentionally, I think, because in the chapter just before, we're, we're told that man looks on the outside, but God looks at the heart. And Goliath, he's described as a real chad. He's, he's covered in bronze scales. He's like a brown snake. He's a really buff snake. He's been to the gym. His coat of armor alone weighed 55 kilos or so. Uh, and then the helmets and the legging and all the other bronze bits and pieces, they weren't light either. Uh, but, the, but the snake description is a bit intentional. I believe, could this be the long-awaited moment for the promised snake crusher to come uh, and rise up and save God's people? Israel's champion, King Saul, he stood head and shoulders above the rest of the nation of Israel. They were a bunch of shorties like me. They rejected God as their king, and they picked Saul to be, get this, they explicitly state this in, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, they wanted a king to go out before us. And fight our battles. That was his job description. This is Saul's time to shine. This is supposed to be champion against champion. But Israel's champions failing his KPIs uh, and trying to use his, his tent as sort of a cloak of invisibility. He's, he's hiding, but he's so useless that Goliath taunts them asking, why do, you, why do you guys come out? Why do you show up for battle? What's the point if you're not even actually going to fight? And this Groundhog Day goes on and on for 40 long days. And then next slide, please. Dave, David enters the scene, verses 14 to 18. He's a hard-working Gen Zer, 
holding down three jobs because before he even hits the age of 20 because interest rates. Um, and in chapter 16, two of David's jobs were for the king. He worked for the king. He was Saul's armor bearer. It's a pretty, pretty important job. And uh, because of his epic guitar shredding, he served as the king's Spotify. Another important job. As he's the chill playlist. Um, and on top of this, he cared for his father's sheep as well. And so for 40 days, David uh, was making a regular trip back and forth from the army's encampment to the sheep. It's 80 kilometers by foot. And then uh, up until this point, if we go to the, to the next one, verses uh, 20 to 24, David, when that's working... Um, up until this point, he'd not actually seen or heard Goliath because he'd gone to the encampment, which is around the corner. He'd not been to the battlefield, at least not, not, not that we're known of. And, and up until day 41, on a mission from his father, he came to the camp. They were going out to battle. He was trying to catch his brothers. And, you know, they're walking out and sounding the battle cry and whatever. And he wants to catch a glimpse of this excitement in the battlefield. So he runs to the ranks. And Goliath shouts the same stuff. But this time, David hears him. And everybody else, they saw Goliath. And they fled. But David, he heard Goliath. And he was indignant. David doesn't care about the dude's size. He cares that this man has the audacity to, to carry on like he was carrying on against the Lord. David's older brother uh, got kind of angry with him uh, and made this kind of off-the-mark claim that David, he knew David's heart was wicked. He was just there to see the battle, which is weird because there wasn't actually anything to see for 40 days and, you know, twice a day, morning and evening. And I love kind of the exasperation. Uh, if we go to verses 28, thanks, Dave. Uh, the, the, the exasperation in, in David's, uh, now what have I done? Now what have I done? If you have older brothers like me, you'd kind of get, you'd get this, right? Uh, David's words... They shun this, this light. They expose their, their kind of their inaction and their fear and their unwillingness to actually go forth and be the armies of the Lord. Now, Eliab thinks David has no right. But, but King Saul hears about it. King Saul wants to, to hear him out. And to the king, you know, David offers himself, volunteers as tribute to be representative and champion. He's so, he's so assured of victory. Before it even starts, David... David would willingly stand between Israel and death because he knew the power of the God that he trusted. And then moving on to the next one, David, verse 33 uh, to 37, King Saul, he's not really all that convinced originally with David's offer because, you know, look at him. He's just a youth. The tale of the tape says David's going to die. Saul and Goliath agree on one thing. David is just a youth. But Saul seems utterly desperate. And honestly, after 40 days, who wouldn't be? His polling numbers don't look good. His election promises aren't really coming through. David plays his speech 100 card. Saul gets convinced enough to, you know, send him out. Whatever his motivation is, Saul is so feeble at this point, he was willing to send a kid to his death on his behalf. And yet God uses it for good. God's plans won't be thwarted by a titan or a coward. To David... Goliath is nothing more than a beast. And he knows from experience that God has delivered him from beasts before. This time will be no different because it's not about looks. 
It's all about trust in the Lord. This isn't just some sort of disassociated you know, optimism that you know, everything's going to work out, la-di-da, whatever. David is an absolute spiritual giant that no one but God has the eyes to see. Only a few weeks ago, Pastor Mike, he took us through the proverb written by David's son, King Solomon. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not... It's good. You guys were listening. Two people were listening. So good. It's easy to get distracted though, isn't it? With the noise of the enemy, the raging of the storm especially when it might feel like it just goes on forever, morning and evening, day after day. But the presence of a giant doesn't mean the absence of the Lord. God doesn't run from a fight. He goes before us. He goes behind us. He is beside us. And David knew this without a doubt. He was willing to risk his life on the reality of God with me. Are you? Because Jesus promised to be with his followers even to the end of the age, never leaving, never forsaking, the same God that David trusted. But here's the thing, Saul didn't trust God's promises. We flick to the next one, David, verses 37 to 39. Saul tried doing battle the way Goliath would do battle. And he goes so far to try and equip David with his Goliath-like armor. But he's, and he, you know, he says, the Lord be with you. But here's a plan B, just in case he doesn't show up. This is the fundamental difference between David and Saul. Trust and obedience go together. David's trust was lived out in motion with obedient courage. He had no need to get weighed down for this fight by a coward's armor. He has not tested that. But you know what he's tested? He's tested his faith and his trust in the Lord. And the Lord has never failed him yet. If we go to the next one, David, verse 40. Instead, uh, David has his shepherd's staff in one hand, his sling in the other. He picks up five smooth, not small, stones from the brook. They're likely about two to three inches in diameter. And at face value, it kind of looks like David's lost the plot. You know, he's risking everything uh, and he's bringing sticks and stones to a swords and spears sort of fight. All the odds are against him. His own army, his king, his family, they're all pretty sure he's just walking into a certain death, you know. In the valley, death overshadowed him and he was actually alone at face value. And it just looked impossible. If you flick to the next picture there. Because it's school holidays, we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, Kids, can I get you to come up? I need you to assemble as the army of Israel. We have some helpers to visualize this for us. Yes. Can you guys assemble on this side? Come on, armies of Israel. That's it. You guys, are, you guys are coming to battle. Excuse me, I'm grab this. You come into battle and, and we, we have a Goliath. Could, could Goliath come on up? And he's going to stand on this side. 
Normally, normally he's the big friendly giant. But today, you guys, you guys are fighting that man, right? That's Goliath. Boo! Boo, Goliath, boo! Boo! I don't have David's confidence. I have no idea how this is going to go. Um, who, who, who likes making their own breakfast? Some of you do. Who likes, who likes cleaning your room? You love cleaning your That is awesome. Yes, train a child in the way they should go. Who, who, likes, who likes taking out the trash? Who likes cleaning the toilets? Oh, that's a bit gross. Who likes trimming somebody else's toenails? Oh, oh that's, that's also a bit gross. Now... You guys, you guys are going to be fighting Goliath, but only one of you got to choose one person. You're not all going. It's only one person. Who wants? Yeah, you want to? Seriously, you want to fight him? You tackle your dad all the time. My goodness, you are first. Yes. Yes. Now we are going to show you. Look at this might of Goliath. He can crush a can with one hand. Look at that. That's terrifying. Now the thing is, you're fighting for all of them. If you lose, they're all going to have to clean his house and his toilets and take out his trash. You guys are going to have to go and pick up his shopping because, you know, Woolies delivery is expensive. You're going to have to trim his toenails. Right? You're going to be his slaves. No pressure. And so what, what, I, what I need from you, right? Goliath has a crown. A mighty crown. Only a true Chad would wear that without fear. So... What's your game plan? You gotta get his crown. That's how you win. What are you gonna do? <laughs> Throw rocks at him. <laughs> at his forehead. You were listening. Yes. That's a that's a that's a pretty good plan. That's a pretty good plan. Throwing rocks we're not encouraging this. <laughs> but throwing rocks at him at his forehead. And then, and then, how are you going to get his crown? Take it off his head. See, like if it was me, I'd probably spike his coffee with laxatives, and maybe steal it a bit later, like when he's asleep, or like Mission Impossible down from the ceiling, and he walks past or something. Um, but if it's just you fighting him, and he's not going to stand there and just kind of let it happen, he's going to dodge the rocks. What do you? Is that your plan? Do you want to change your plan? No. Who thinks it's a good plan? Oh, you guys are all very kind, but the answer is no. No, it's a terrible plan. Okay, that's the biblical answer. What about you guys? If it was you in this place, what would you do? You'd tackle him. You'd climb on his back. Yeah? <laughs> 
we're not going to do any of those things because child safety. But <laughs> if I was a betting man, my money's on Jake Lyeth here, without a doubt. Uh, but what I want you guys to do, we're not going to tackle him. Um, I'm sorry. But... No, you're not going to throw a can at him. <laughs> what I want to get you guys to do is I want you guys to grab uh, one of the colouring sheets for Goliath that we've got up the back there. Pick the, like David and Goliath, we've got two different ones there. I want you to colour and write down, if you can write or draw your strategy, if you were David, draw your plan uh, of how you are going to get that crown, okay? But what I want to do is thank you all for because you've just basically shown us the complete height difference, the impossibility, and the fact that only one of you was willing, well, some of you were willing to, but only one of you actually came forward to fight. What? Why does he have a ponytail? Because he's that confident. <laughs> okay, guys, I want to thank you so much for, for visually helping us with this. You can go up and grab some coloring sheets from the back and head back to your parents. Why is he a unicorn? Because he's a manly man. You can keep that, mate. Thank you so much. For all 600 gods I worship. <laughs> I'm so confused right now. Look, if that played out, Jake Lyas, he's going to win. Without a doubt. Uh, even if all the kids took him on. But it was not going to happen, like I said, child safety. Uh, but the thing is, visually, David was alone. The army actually wasn't backing him. They're kind of like, yeah, okay, well, this is really weird. They're still busy hiding behind the rocks. Nobody but the Lord and David really saw the truth that this was a very unfair fight. And the advantage wasn't with the unicorn-wearing guy, right? The, the, that, he was big. But it wasn't his battle to win. It's his battle to lose. And like any good battle, you know, the contenders, they came out, they, they hurled verbal stones before David throws this kind of skull-crushingly physical one. But it doesn't stop the Philistine from despising him again because he's just a youth. And he, and he throws out some sick burns. Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? Kind of a self-burn, that one, because the answer is yes. But if you know that he ever retired from, from fighting, you know, Goliath could probably get a gig at the local gaff pub doing stand-up comedy, because that's what he's aiming for, it seems. Because he throws out a lot of these, and I guess he's had 40 days, morning and evening, to, to really sharpen them. <laughs> he could make a living getting crowds to kind of laugh their heads off rather than lopping them off. It's a much more, you know, honourable sort of career. But we'll never know, because he never gets that far. But once Goliath was sort of, you know, he gets out, he's, he's out of one-liners, he then curses David by his 600 or so gods that he worships. And he'd been doing this as well for 40 days, cursing anyone and everyone. Now, a little backstory. Can we go to the next one, David? 1 Samuel 5. The head of the Philistine gods was Dagon, which is, which is ironic. Uh, if you've read the comical story of 1, 1 Samuel chapter 5, you'll know that when the ark was captured... Uh, and brought into Dagon's temple, the idol was knocked down in front of the ark, and they had to prop up their head god and put him back in his place. 
not realizing God was putting him in his place. And in what was a literal face-off, the head Philistine God lost his head and his hands. Uh, when, when, when they came in the next day, he'd fallen down face foot on the ground and everything was lying cut off. When we moved into our house last year, we, we had a false idol kind of sitting out in our backyard too. Sarah did the very biblical thing. She tore it down. And when she toppled the thing, the head came off, making for a perfect illustration. And I imagine this is a bit like how useless Dagon looked. This was the head. This was the one behind uh, Goliath. This, you know, this, this, this idol kind of kept its hands. So I had to drag it from the back corner of the yard right through to the front. And you know what? False idols are heavy. <laughs> it's concrete and steel, that one. It's all solid. My girls had been drawing on this dead defenseless idol uh, with pink chalk until we tossed its heavy carcass into the dump. Um, and, and it's and it is heavy. It's heavy. Just like sin. It's a burden. It weighs us down. It drags us to, our, to, to death unless someone stronger than us comes along and smashes its head, breaks its hands, and frees us from its grip. If we go to the next slide, David, if Goliath claims he holds the power of death in his hands, which is ironic because his own God didn't have his own hands. But Goliath, you know, he wasn't fighting in the power of Dagon, really. He was kind of trusting in his well-used gym membership, probably one of the few people who carried out that sort of New Year's resolution. He knew his God was basically listed on Marketplace at that point, used once, repairs needed, pickup only. And behind all the fanfare, whether he was aware of it or not, in truth, Goliath's God was himself in the shape of Dagon. His trust was in me, myself, and I. David's is altogether different. He declares he's not fighting in his own strength, but in the name of the living God. And then he makes this incredibly accurate prophecy that he will strike down the giant and take off his head, despite the fact that he had no sword of his own. He had a staff and a sling. Them's not good cutting tools. David also throws Goliath's own prediction back at him with a thousand-fold increase that the whole host of the Philistine army will be given over to the birds and the beasts so that all the earth will know that the God of Israel saves not with sword and spear. Now, David was impressively skillful with his sling. People today, they sometimes post YouTube videos of people showing the power of a sling uh, and a simple stone in the hands of someone who's, who's really good at it. And it's impressive. They shatter steel plates and stuff and watermelons and, and all that. It's great for, the, great for the views. But the thing is, that's not what David's trusting in. David didn't say to King Saul earlier, I took down bears full stop. Well, send me out in my sling. It's awesome. I'll be great. He says, I struck down lions and bears. And then he continues to give all the credit to God for that victory. It was the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear and will deliver me from the hand of this dude. This kid has trained in this since he was tiny, not that uh, you know, stone-throwing skill, but as a shepherd who has daily developed and trained in trusting the Lord's deliverance, no matter the circumstances. That's what he was skilled in. That's what he had tested. In the peacetime... Do you train for war? 
Do you actively develop and strengthen your trust in the Lord when life is going well instead of just when it's falling apart? Because it makes so much of a difference. In verse 45, that is the key verse on which this whole story hinges. David says, I come to you in the name of the living God. David would have won this battle if he had entered the valley of the shadow of death with no equipment at all. Not even a slingshot, because he came in the name of the living God, and that is enough. If he had nothing but his trust in God, victory was assured. David knew who had his back, and he was a lot bigger than Goliath. And they'd come against God's you know, armies, in the name of Dagon, this, the headless head of the countless Philistine gods, David stood as the representative of the Lord's army. And this isn't this underdog versus a strong loudmouth kind of story. Peel back the veil and see this was a Dagon versus God rematch, which is really like a Satan versus God contest. And this battle is going to go very much like it did the last time because God always wins. The battle is the Lord's. That's what David says. He will give you, now including the whole Philistine army, into our, now including himself with the whole Israelite army, into our hands. And the fight is over quicker than you can say, Goliath, look out for the rock. If we look to the next one, David, verse 48 to 50, Goliath was so self-assured, he was probably sitting down because he had to arise. But David runs, he's keen to silence this, this evil scoffer. He grabs a stone from his bag before they even get a chance to meet in the middle. He's pelted this God-guided missile straight at the giant's forehead. And you ever wonder where the saying, you know, let that sink in for a moment comes from? <laughs> what about hard-hitting truth? Or you got rocks in your head? I don't know if that's where they came from, but that stone hit so hard it sank into his forehead. That is impressive. Goliath was put to death by stoning, as the law required of blasphemers. Right? It makes sense. What did David win with? A rock of salvation. And look, I'm not saying that that's, there's a link in there, but I don't think it's just a coincidence. The writer wants everyone to know there is no sword in David's hand. You know what he used the giant's sword for? To make a point. Sorry, edgy puns. Uh, can we go to the next verses, 51 to 54? David runs again. He takes out the giant's own weapon, and he does a Henry VIII. Point made. Goliath is not getting up. He is dead. And in David's victory, cowards are transformed into warriors with a shout, the whole of Israel and Judah, that together they run down the mountain, they trample the enemy all the way back to Goliath's hometown of Gath and to Ekron. That's 20 meters, uh, sorry, 20 kilometers of crushing defeat in two separate directions, if you remember the map at the start. The battle was overwhelmingly the Lord's. And all that the enemies had it was plundered it was given over to god's people as a result of david's victory the end but the thing is this story is not a story where we are like david and how we're going to face our giants this story points to a much greater story 
Christ's redeeming work. Can you flick to the next one, David? Christ's representation, Christ's slaying of giants, his crushing victory. You see Colossians 2, as Lucy read for us earlier. It points to the cross as Christ's glorious, glorious triumph, the son of David and the true king. It points to God in the flesh who entered the valley of Elah, not with armor, but with a piece of timber. Christ placed all his trust in the Lord. He fought our greatest enemy and all of his army, and he utterly crushed Satan, sin, and death by his own death in our place. Christ rose again three days later to never die again, vindicated as God, triumphant as the conquering king. This story points to the Messiah who came to save us, not because he had to, not because he was forced to, but because God loves you so immensely that Jesus freely chose to enter this world, to live the perfect life that we could not live, to die the death we deserve to die so that we can be set free. We are not David. If anything, we're like the Israelites, frozen, afraid, hiding behind the rocks, unable to face, let alone fight this giant. Sometimes we're like Eliab, the brother. We do not trust this weak chippy from a backwater town. Maybe like Eliab, we get angry with Jesus and the things Jesus said. So we dismiss him or reject him or want to change some of his words. Or maybe we're like Saul. We set up a plan B for when God, you know, God's not going to come through. We got this plan B just in case. King Saul acted like the law which could not save, just only weighed us down with our sin. Maybe we think doing good works is enough and we dress ourselves with doing these good things, thinking, I'll come back to God once I've got my life in order. I'll trust God once I've got all this other stuff sorted. That's not how trust works. You flick to the next one, to Romans. Uh, this is the craziest thing. When we place our story, uh, ourselves in this story of battle and salvation, we actually all stand on the other hill. That's where we started. We weren't on Team Jesus. We were enemies of God by nature and by choice. We were enslaved by the devil, yet at the same time joyfully cheering on the opposition against God. And yet the victory of Christ was for his enemies. Jesus' invitation into grace and freedom and life and forgiveness are for those who were his enemies. Jesus defeated the enemy's champion. He broke open the kingdom to let this light flood in. And now the choice is before you to fall on the mercy of the true king. Or be crushed under God's just judgment against those who remain his enemies. Only Jesus moves us from darkness to light. No one else has this power. Only Jesus sets us free from sin and death and the law and the devil. Only Jesus gives true freedom from all condemnation, the Bible says. By clothing you in his righteousness, washing you clean by the blood, his oceans of grace. There is good news because you don't have to run from God anymore. You don't have to run 
Jesus has proven himself good and for you. And he invites you right now. He, to, he wants you to turn from your rebellion and join his team. Follow him. He wants those of us who have been hiding behind the rocks and following him in part and lacking in courage to step out and follow him in full. Embrace the finished work of Christ on our behalf. Embrace the good news of reconciliation, of justification, of being saved from wrath, of being reconciled, of being saved into life. And we can walk in the footsteps of the true son of David who walked before us, clothing us in the perfect righteousness of King Jesus, who declared, it is finished, all the work is done, all that is left for you is to embrace that mercy and that grace and let the gospel change you and transform everything in your life. It was when Israel was utterly faithless and the only thing certain was that they would not be able to win at all. God's own nation didn't trust in God, but God still sent David. They didn't ask him, he still came. They weren't seeking him, he still came. God took the initiative. God brought the salvation. Just at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly and the rebel. That was me. And that was so many of you. When we were faithless, he was faithful. That's what the story points to. The true giant crusher. The anointed king. The faithful deliverer. He came not with a sword, but with a word and a cross. He was zealous for God's glory and for our salvation. And he gave up his life for us. And Christ obliterated the enemy. It was a critical hit. It dis- he disarmed them completely. And you and I rejoice in the blessing of the hope of his victory. And so when you apply this story to your life, you need to work through the question of trust. Do you trust in the one who gave up his life for you? Do you trust him with your life? When you don't understand, when everything's falling apart, do you trust him still? The completeness of his victory, it has been finished and it is just being played out to full realization when Christ comes again. And that is 100% certain as David's victory over Goliath. It is guaranteed by the Lord that he is coming back. And those who have died with Christ, we're no longer under law, no longer under condemnation. We are set free to live this life of grace upon grace. So Christians, we do not fight undefeated giants in, in the way that some people would imagine, some write books about or any of that sort of stuff. We fight sin, but we fight sin knowing that the victory is already won. We fight sin with the gospel, not by your works, not by your power, but by trusting in the one who fights for us. So in a way, we can be like David insofar as David was like Christ because Jesus is the greater David. He entrusted himself to the Lord and he's more than an example. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. He is our deliverer. He is our king. He is our savior. And he is our power to live righteously with his courage, not our own, his peace. We don't generate that. His strength, his victory. 
even when we stumble and hide and doubt and fall and fail, he reaches out his hand in grace and encourages us to get back up and keep going because he's already won. And he will rebuild us and empower us to live godly and holy lives. And it's as simple for us as this. We can say, because God has delivered me. I trust him and have all confidence that he will deliver me. It's simple, right? But it's not always easy. God knows this. He doesn't call us to walk this road alone. Jesus entered the valley alone, so we don't have to. And this church and the wider church is so fundamental to our gospel living because we don't live this Christian life alone. We cannot. We live out the freedom that he gave us. We, we do that together. We do that in community with a shout of rejoicing in God's work, of encouraging one another. You flick to the next one, Dave, the... The, verses, uh, the picture in verses 52, 53, people racing down the mountain, mowing down the enemy that's fleeing and all that. That's the picture of the church. That's where we're supposed to fit into that story, right? It's a part of the, the Lord's people. And we shout, we encourage one another with this victory of the gospel. We run together in faith and how much we need each other especially when everything's dark and we're hiding, we're running the opposite direction, we're doing the things we know we shouldn't be doing. You flick the next one. J.A. Metters, I like what he said about this. He said, hold fast to the gospel confession and don't flake out on the fellowship of the saints on Sundays or during the week. You need it. Your church needs it. God's want, God wants you to see that the Christian community is more than a means to simply get you through the week or a rough patch. While the community of saints does that, it also does more. Hebrews says to encourage each other more and more as you see the judgment day approaching, the return of Christ. You need Christian community so you can make it to the day when Christ comes. Our response of faith and, and repentance, it begins as individuals, but it's lived out in community. And on Sundays, as active members of the local body of Christ, and then across the week as ongoing expressions in life groups, in one-to-one -one Bible studies, in prayer meetings, and countless, countless other ways. We need to encourage one another and trust Him. Keep trusting Him. The one who remains forever faithful. We need to point each other to not lean on our own understanding. Can you flick to the proverb, Dave? Not to trust in ourselves, because that's, that's our default, right? We need this constant reminder. Trust in the Lord. God's people, we've got to be together. We've got to shout together. We've got to rejoice together and, and weep together. You need this. I need this. And Jesus calls us, even in our weaknesses, to be a part of this. To go, for he is with us even to the end of the age. We need one another to point to Jesus, to live for Jesus. God designed us for this exact thing. Even with all our mess, even with all the mistakes of church and everything, he loves his church. 
so much so that he entered death and gave himself up for her. Don't take my word for it. Take his word, his faithful action. Trust him. Trust him who died in your place. Trust him who freely gives you abundant life. Trust him who conquered and who will help you put to death your sin. You flick to the last one. Trust him who saves. And follow him on the way, in motion. Let your trust be lived out. And then together we can rally like we do, marvel at the glory of his grace, the conquering Christ, the loving Father. And with a shout, with a triumph, we can go forth. We can trample the gates of hell. We can plunder the enemy's camp. We can take his stuff, set the captives free. And we can run with confidence, right? Because Christ has destroyed the power of death. So what can man do to me? We don't risk. Jesus took all the risk for us. And so the question is not whether God's able to conquer any enemy or overcome any obstacle or heal any heartache or see you through the valley and into his glorious victory. The question is this. Do you trust that your shepherd is with you to deliver you? Do you trust in the finished work of Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you that you are trustworthy. We thank you that you are good. We thank you that while we were yet your enemies, Christ died for the ungodly. Father, we come together as your people with our burdens, with our fears, with our struggles, with our doubts with our difficulties and with our sin. God, we thank you that you welcome us by grace. That you lift us up. That you comfort us. God, that you challenge us. That you lead us to push on, to keep going. To get up take up the shield of faith to continue. God, may we walk together. May we trust in the victory of Christ. May we encourage one another anew. May we grow in the knowledge God, may we grow in the understanding of what you have done for us and what you continue to do in and through us. God, would you bless your church, these people as we gather, that we would walk vulnerably, honestly, lovingly, beautifully together. That you would lead us not to trust in ourselves, not to trust in our own strength, but to lean on you. To trust in you. And I ask, Lord, as you, as you bring to mind those places of difficulty where it is hard to trust, 
the sins which seem to hold us so tightly that we feel that they're undefeatable. God, would you give us the power and the knowledge to repent and believe the good news, to crucify our flesh and its passions and desires, to put to death the sin nailed to a cross, not in our power but in yours, to have that peace that we do not self-generate, but your peace, that the joy of the Lord would be our strength and that we would go forth with confidence and with a shout of victory and triumph. God, we would speak this wonderful gospel to those around us without fear, but in trust, setting captives free, plundering the enemy's camp, and bringing you all the glory as we go. In your name we pray. Amen.